You're listening to audio from Mercy Hill Church of Port Austin. To learn more about us, you can visit mercyhillpa.org. Most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want, and want acutely, something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love, or first think of some foreign country, or first take up some subject that excites us, are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. There was something we grasped at in that first moment of longing, which just fades away in the reality. The wife may be a good wife, and the hotels and scenery may have been excellent, And chemistry may be a very interesting job, but something, the thing we thought would be at the center of it all, has evaded us. In this quote, C.S. Lewis captures the reality that all of our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. That all of us are looking for satisfaction, but nothing in this world seems to hold up under the weight of our expectations. He talks about marriage, he talks about love, he talks about travel, he talks about jobs, and he says all those things, at first, there's this excitement, there's this newness, there's this allurement that, that gets us, and it slowly starts to fade. You see, we're hardwired for worship. You only need to look in your own heart to see it. Look at the highest highs of your life and the lowest lows of your life, and you'll know what you're worshiping. Look at the things in your life that you depend on for happiness the things that you're desperately afraid of losing. It may be comfort, it may be power, it may be control, it may be approval, it may be something else, but your relationship to it is worship. And until you put God at the center of your heart and at the center of your affections, at the center of what you're pursuing for satisfaction and joy and happiness, you will never be satisfied. We've been saying this for years, only Jesus satisfies You see, every good pleasure of this life is a mere shadow, but the true substance of pleasure is found in God alone. And you will remain unsatisfied until you pursue him. And here's what's so awesome about this passage today, is that we learn that through Jesus, through Jesus, we have direct access to God. Direct access to the only one, the only thing, the only being in the universe that can actually satisfy us, that can actually Fill that void in our lives that we're all trying to fill. It's God alone. And through Jesus, we're welcome. Come, be satisfied, be saved, be forgiven. What an incredible privilege. And the creator, the sustainer, the savior, the satisfier of our souls welcomes us to come today. And, and I, want you, I just want you to know that you don't have to wait till the end of the message to come. Do you understand that? You don't have to wait till the end of the message to draw near right now in your heart to God, to pursue God. God, I want you today. I want more of you. I want to be fed in your word this morning. I want to come to you. I want to be satisfied in you. God, I want to put my idols to death. I want to stop pursuing the brokenness that that I keep going after, trying to find happiness only to be left unsatisfied. So right now, God, God, we ask you right now, help us to draw near as we go through this text. With that background in mind, we're going to be looking at Hebrews 10 today. And I told you last week that we've kind of been making our way up the mountain 
of this teaching on the person and work of Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, he kind of flies us in a plane around the tip of the mountain to show us what we're going to. Then he drops us off at the, the bottom of the mountain, and we start making our way up. And, and for those of you who've been coming, you know it's been a several-month journey up this mountain. And last week, in chapter 10, he actually climaxed his teaching on the person and work of Jesus. And now he's going all application. And some of you are really excited for chapter 11, the Hall of Faith. You're like, man, when are we going to get to that? It's coming. And so we are, we are moving in now. He's going to say, therefore, let's apply this now. And he really takes, in this passage, he takes all the themes that he's been teaching on, and he really brings them into this really awesome, centralized application for us today. He says, hold fast. Don't leave the faith. Keep persevering. Draw near to God. Encourage others. And that's what our passage is all about today. And so look at verse 19 again. He says, therefore, brothers. And you could say, therefore, brothers and sisters. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, which he just spent 10 chapters teaching about, like we have confidence, like we can go near through the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, then he's going to start to give us some application. You're like, that's a weird place to stop. But I want you to see what he's doing here. He's saying because of these things, Because we have confidence to enter God's presence through the blood of Jesus. Because he is our great high priest. Because of these things. On the basis of these truths. Three things. He's going to challenge us to draw near to God. To hold fast our profession. And to consider others in love. And what's really cool about this is he actually takes kind of the cardinal virtues of the Christian life. Faith, hope, and love. And the first one is draw near in faith. The second one is holding fast our hope. And the third one is considering others in love. And so he's, he's bringing those together in this. And again, another thing to highlight is he says, let us, let us, let us. What is he saying? This is a communal effort. That perseverance in the Christian life is a community project. Change is a community project. You can't grow in the likeness of Jesus if you're never around other people. That's just the reality. That's all throughout the scriptures. Right? You can't learn to love difficult people unless you're around difficult people. That's just the way it works. And so perseverance is a community project. You know what's funny is Jesus taught us to pray. How did he teach us to pray? Our Father. Yeah, how do we pray that today in our culture? My Father. Well, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus, but I don't need the church. Well, that's not a Christian in definition in the Bible. It's a community thing. And so he says, let us draw near. Right? Let us hold fast. Let us consider one another. And so together we draw near on the basis of Christ's priestly work. Together we hold fast our confession on the basis of the character of God. And together we consider others and how we can stir them up and encourage one another. And why do we do this? What's the ultimate reason for all of this? It's to finish the race. It's to persevere. I don't know if you realized it, but life is hard and it seems especially difficult as a Christian. And it's only going to get harder and harder as you go through the trials and the brokenness of this life. Persevering as a Christian is difficult. And that's what this whole book is about. And, and, and we think it's hard today. They were, they were experiencing physical persecution and mocking and criticism and, and pressure from inside and out to just abandon Jesus. They were thinking, maybe we just go back to Judaism. That's what's comfortable. That's what we're used to. He says, no, 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 no. Persevere. Draw near. Hold fast. Consider others. That's the message today. And so we're going to look at those one at a time. First looking at let us draw near to God in verse 22. 
22 says, let us. So remember, on the basis of all those things, let us now draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And so this is point one. Let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. Here we're told on the basis of the person and work of Christ that we should draw near. This speaks of a privileged access that is only available to those who come through Jesus. What did we see last week? That he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can go to the Father except through him. And what does it mean to draw near? near? It means to approach God in worship, in prayer, in intimacy, in fellowship. We should do this weekly on Sundays with our church family, but guess what? We can do this every day. We can do this all throughout the day. We can do this in our cars. We can do this in our closets. We can do this on the way home. We draw near, and he gives us three ways we draw near. He first says, with a true heart and full assurance of faith. What does that mean? He's saying we should come with confidence. Confidence that we truly are forgiven and welcome into God's presence. Listen, if God for a moment could just kind of open, just like just a little bit, just open this roof and just give us a glimpse into his throne room, we would be terrified. I mean, absolutely terrified to, to see him and all of his glory and all of his beauty and all of his wonder with, with those crazy cherubim around saying, holy, holy. I mean, we'd be freaked out. That's what we see in the Bible. Any little glimpse of heaven with, with Isaiah, with John, with others, they fell on their face. I mean, Peter got a little glimpse in the boat when he, when he did that miracle, and he immediately said, depart from me, I'm sinful, Lord. And so if God could just kind of open this a little bit and we could just see into his throne room, we would literally be hovering, trying to get under chairs, like freaking out. And so I want you to imagine that terror, that fear, that, that craziness, and then I want you to imagine Jesus walking up and saying, hey, because of what I did on your behalf, you're welcome. You don't have to fear. You don't have to tremble. I know it looks as if this God will destroy you, but I have absorbed the wrath that you deserved. I've, I've credited you my righteousness, so come. Let's draw near. And he takes us up from under the seat. We're shaking. Takes us up and he comes. That's what he means here. He says, with, with full assurance. Like, not like wondering, is God going to smite me if I come to him? Is he going to get mad at me? Is he going to strike me down? No, no, no. With full assurance, we go boldly into God's presence and worship. He continues, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. This is the fulfillment of the new covenant promises that we saw in the Old Testament. That, that we will be cleansed, that our conscience, as we saw earlier in the book of Hebrews, is perfected. That the big plague of human existence, a guilty conscience, is gone now because of the blood of Jesus. He continues, with our bodies washed in pure water. This signifies the cleansing that takes place when we come to Jesus. We're cleansed from our sin and our unrighteousness. And so we draw near. These are incredible realities. But I do want to say quickly that these are only for those who believe in Jesus. Only for those who have turned from their sins and trusted in Jesus. And so if you've never done that today, cast yourself on the mercy of Jesus and be saved. So that you too, you too can, you can come, you can draw near, you can find joy, you can find satisfaction, you can find forgiveness, you can find cleansing. Draw near to God. All of this may remind you of chapter 4, where we read this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you understand the privilege that you have this morning if you're a child of God? The privilege of drawing near? Don't forget that image a few weeks ago 
You remember, I had it up on the screen of the Old Testament tabernacle, and there was this outer court, and then there was this inner court, and then there was the holy place, and then there was the holy of holies, and the whole kind of symbol is God wants your worship. He wants you to to find your worship in him, but really, you're not welcome, (laughs) right? That's kind of the symbol of the Old, Old Testament, like not welcome, like you cannot pass, do not enter. Okay, bring a sacrifice and you can worship. But, but only the high priest could go into that holy of holies, which signified the presence of God, and that was only once a year. And what happened when Jesus died on the cross? That veil was torn from top to bottom so that we can now go boldly into his presence. That's the privilege we have today. To walk right into the throne room of God. I illustrated this in chapter 4. I'm with my dad's office at the church. I, I told you that many of you know this, but I grew up in a pastor's home. And sometimes before the services, my dad would be in his office and it was kind of up, up on the side of the platform like this. And people typically left him alone right before the service if he was in there. And, and as a little kid, though, man, I, I didn't leave him alone, right? I didn't have to get in line and wait. I didn't have to knock and be like, Reverend. Like, he hated that title. <laughs> Don't call me Reverend, okay? I'm a pastor, but I didn't have to do that, right? I was a little stinker kid, man. I was running around the pews. And and so I would just run right in there and I would jump up on his lap if I needed him. That's the picture we have. You don't have to wait in line to go to God. You don't have to wonder, is he too busy? You just go. You just go anytime, anywhere. You go, you draw near. You go right into your father's presence. Do you remember what Jesus says? He says that as the father loved him, it's how he loves us. How much does God love Jesus? Infinitely. And that's how he loves us. Scott Smith puts it this way. Wake up, dear friends, and live today in the knee-buckling knowledge that God loves you as much as Jesus and there is nothing you can do about it. Except abide in it and live out of such a glorious standing in grace. Do you realize the privilege We have access into the very presence of the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the eternal, all-powerful, perfectly holy creator and sustainer of all things. And we just get to go. We just get to go into his presence anytime, anywhere, any place. That's the privilege we have here. And so do you take advantage? Do you take advantage of this privilege, this access? Draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. Next, next. Let's look at verse 23. He continues, here's the next, let us. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So first we draw near. Secondly, let us hold fast. Let us hold fast our confession. To hold fast has been a theme all throughout the book of Hebrews, and it really just means to adhere to something, to remain fully committed to it. It's again pointed to the theme of perseverance that we see again and again in this book. We cling to Christ. We fight the good fight of faith. We stick with it. We don't walk away. And what do we hold fast to? It says the confession of our hope without wavering. What it's saying is we stay committed to the life-giving beliefs about who God is and what he has done. And we don't let the pressures and the storms and the trials of this life cause us to waver from what we know is true. We hold fast. And we do this, why? On the basis of who he is. Look at what it says. Because he who promises is faithful. You know, the promise is completely dependent on the one who made it, isn't it? We've been made a lot of false promises in our day that don't come to fruition because of the character of the one who made it. 
Or maybe the person had good character, but they just don't have the ability to carry it out. You've, I'm sure, made promises before that, unfortunately, because of unforeseen circumstances, you couldn't carry out those promises. That's not what happens with God. It can never happen with God. He is faithful, and he will always do what he says he promised to do. And so we hold fast. When, it, when, it, when it's tempting us, the world is coming, pressuring in, the trials and temptations and struggles are, are causing us to waver. We hold fast. Why? Because he's faithful. What he says, we can trust. We can take it to the bank. He is faithful. He is not going to change. He is not going to back out on his promises. He is trustworthy. We've discussed this before, but holding fast is especially relevant in an age where everything we believe and affirm as Christians is being attacked, questioned, ridiculed, and maligned. And the real sad, about, sad part about all of this is that churches today are giving in to the pressure. Well, we, don't, we don't want to talk about those things because it offends people. We, we don't want to talk about the blood of Jesus. and We don't want to talk about Jesus being the only way. That's kind of narrow, and, and, they're, and they're crumbling under the pressure. And so we need to hear this today. We need to hear this as a church, corporately. We need to hear this as individuals. Brother, hold fast. Sister, hold fast. Keep believing. Keep trusting. Keep persevering. Keep praying. Keep sharing your faith. Keep believing that God's promises are better than the false promises of sin. Hold fast. Why? Because he's faithful. Because he who promises is faithful. There's none like him. So we draw near, we hold fast. Thirdly, let us consider others. Look at verses 24 and 25. He says, and let us consider. So he says, let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Now, thirdly, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I think it's kind of funny that our attendance is just a little bit lower today um, on, a, on a day where don't neglect to meet together. And so the people that are out of town, you're going to have to send them, hey, this is what pastor talked about today. You missed it. But you see what he's saying here. He's saying we should consider or think carefully and thoughtfully about the well-being of others in our church. So that's the message here. Let us consider. Let us consider, specifically we're to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We're also told not to neglect gathering together, as some already were in the habit of doing, but instead to encourage one another. And notice he says, as the day draws near. What is he talking about? He's talking about the day of the Lord. It's in a capital D, which is kind of funny. In, in the ESV, you can see there's a capital D there to, to signify this is the day, not just not just a day. And when growing up, this was kind of used as like, as you see Sunday getting closer, you know, encourage your brothers and sisters. And, and I mean, that's a good application, but ultimately it's the day that's drawing near that we just saw in the previous context, which is what? When Jesus comes and makes all sad things untrue, he makes all things new and he puts his enemies as a footstool under his feet. We saw him like he's a straight up boss. Like he's going to take every evil thing and prop his feet up on it and be like, it's done. And so that day's coming. And so in light of that day, we need to consider one another. It's coming, and it's coming quicker. And it's 2,000 years sooner than it was when he said this. It's coming. Now, remember what Peter said, a day for the Lord is like 1,000 years for us. And so it's only been about two days on his calendar. But still, it's coming. And, and what did Jesus say would happen? Man, I was studying this past week. A preacher brought this out. It was really compelling. What did Jesus say would happen as that day draws near? That the love of many would grow cold. 
Do you see the point? As the day gets closer, we need to consider one another. We need to stir up one another so that we'll persevere, so that we'll finish. Because it's so easy for our love to grow cold. Well, what, what does he mean by considering others here? There's three little specific nuggets kind of tucked in here. He first says we should stir up one another. I think I say this every time I read this verse, but in the King James, it's translated to provoke one another to love and good works. And I love that because I have the spiritual gift of provoking. And so it's just a great little challenge for us. But, but here's what's funny about it. We joke about it, right? Um, some of you are like, I'm good at provoking. I can do that, right? But what's funny is in the Greek, the word literally means to stimulus to the point of discomfort, literally it's like it's like poke your brothers and sisters so that they'll get into it so they won't be on the bench anymore so they'll they'll actually get involved in the battle that they'll actually get off the bench and get on the field right that's what he's saying here stir up one another and so so think through this later today what are some ways that i can stir up love and good works in the community and don't just have it as me doing it to others remember it's one another so when Carol comes along with her volunteer stick and pokes you with it, you should get involved. That's a good thing. She's stirring you up to love and good works. When, when, when people ask you to get involved, to, to use your gifts, to don't just be content to sit on the bench, it's for your good. So think through this later this week. Here's a few ways to get started. You can point out the gifts of grace in the lives of others. You know, I was really blessed by this. And, and that encourages them to keep doing that, right? Man, I can see God's gift of grace working through your life. Show love to others in the church. Serve others with good works. Be an example of love and good works outside, towards people outside the church. Invite others to serve alongside you. But think of ways. This is literally him saying, just stop and think carefully. That's what he says when he says consider. Like, actually stop and think. How can I help my brothers and sisters get involved? For my good and for their good. Stir up one another. Next, stay faithful to the gatherings. Remember, perseverance is a community project. You can't do this alone. Think of yourself as a coal in the fire. What happens when you take that coal and you bring it out of the fire and you set it over away from the fire? What happens? It slowly cools down until it eventually goes out. And that's what happens to so many Christians. They, they get out of the habit of coming or they get out of the habit of gathering like this says. And, and slowly and surely their love grows cold and their passion for Jesus grows cold. And they don't seem to care as much anymore. And it slowly goes out. And so you need to stay faithful to gathering with other believers. Not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the week, which I'm really excited about. We're looking to start some ministries in the fall that will help you with that. But stay faithful to gathering both Biblically and historically, you will not persevere unless you are gathering with other believers. It's a community project. When we're alone, we get myopic, right? We, we, get, we only see our circumstances and our problems, and it's just right in our face, and that's all we can see. And so sometimes we need other brothers and sisters to help us see reality for what it really is. The devil is a roaring lion walking about seeking someone to devour. Have you ever turned on the Discovery Channel and watched that lion hunting that herd of zebras which one does he go after goes after the one that kind of stopped focusing eating his grass over here and just got alone the the whole herd's over here and there's just one zebra over here where does the lion go right there that is such a picture of the christian life i love jesus but i don't need the church you're that zebra that's about to get attacked (laughs) just being real with you we need one another we need to stay faithful 
Listen, I was up all night last night. I have no idea why. I was talking to some of you. Others were struggling with that. I don't know if it was like a full moon or what. But I could not sleep last night. And when I woke up today, I didn't want to come to church. Like, what? You're a pastor. Yeah, I didn't want to come today. I wanted to sleep in. I was tired and, and frustrated. But I came. And that's what you did. You came today. And so let's keep doing that, right? Like, just get up and say, I'm going to start with Sundays. And then I'm going to get involved. Maybe I'll stay for table talk and get to know. Because I need other believers in my life. Perseverance is a community project. And not only that, when you're faithful to the gatherings, you do it for others, not just for yourself. When you miss church, how often do you consider that that decision impacts others? Have you ever considered that it's not the same without you here, that God placed you here to help others persevere? There's a real presence, a ministry of presence that takes place with you just being here. Like, well, I didn't really do anything. I, you know, I didn't get involved. I didn't serve and all. But you were just here. And it encouraged your brothers and sisters that we're not alone in this. Stay faithful to the gatherings. The last little way we consider others here is to be an encourager. He says that we should encourage one another as we see the day approaching. So here's a challenge for you. When you come to church, think of some ways ahead of time for you to encourage others while you're here. Okay, and so don't just wake up at the very last minute and, and really quickly get ready as fast as you can and come rolling in hot at like 59 and kind of running in the door, right? We've all done it. All right, actually wake up early, have some coffee and think, you know, who could I encourage today? I want to be an encouragement at church today. You have no idea how many serious burdens and struggles walked into this room this morning. And so be an encourager. You don't know how that will impact someone else today. Be a good listener. Here's some ways to get started. Be a good listener. And you know how, how in our culture, it's like, it seems like everybody's just listening just enough to where you'll stop talking so that they can start talking. That's just like a thing. Right? They're, not, they're not actually listening. They're waiting for you to shut up so they can talk about themselves. So how awesome would it be if we were actually a community of people where we just listened? And like, we actually just listened. We we're good listeners. And men, this is a good thing you can do with your wives. And I know you know how to fix it. Like, I know. I believe me. I know. You've got like five ways to fix that problem. But just listen. I'm telling you, it'll help. All right? That was, that was for free. Don't give tips. Just listen. And all the ladies said, amen. amen. Be a good listener. Not only that, introduce yourself to someone you don't know and thank them for coming. Some of you are like introverted and you're like, ah, do it. Find someone you don't know in the gathering. Go over and say, hey, I just want to thank you for being at church today. Write an encouraging note to someone. Pray about, God, who could, I, who could I encourage this week? And just whoever God puts in your heart and mind, just write them an encouraging note. Have someone over for dinner. You don't have to be Martha Stewart. You can put a, a frozen pizza in the oven. You can do even easier, hot and ready. You can, I mean, it's easy. Have them over for dinner. Send someone a text this week with a verse of encouragement. If you're able to, bless someone financially. Get involved by serving. But be an encourager. Here's a challenge, here's a challenge, not just this week, but forever, okay? This isn't, we've given this challenge before, it's not originally with me, but if you go to church and you didn't encourage one other person that Sunday, consider, ah, oh, man, I missed out. Like every week, I'm gonna encourage one person. We can all do that. One person to encourage. Be an encourager. As we close today, I want you to, to see all three of these commands together. Draw near, hold fast, consider others. This is the Christian life in a nutshell. This is how you persevere. This is how you finish the race. Let me illustrate this in just like a normal 
regular week, okay? It's Sunday morning, and you wake up, and even though you don't feel like it, you come to church. See, so I'm going to draw near to God today, and you pursue God through singing and through preaching, and, and you, you find some hope in his word, and you say, I'm going to hold fast to that hope by his grace, and, and you hold fast, and then you stay for table talk, and you encourage one another. So that's a, kind of a drawing near corporately. Then what do you do Monday? You wake up. If you're like me, you go get some coffee. You sit down. And again, if you're like me, you think of every sin and failure that you committed the day before. It just seems to rush your mind in the mornings. And you remember that Jesus paid for every single one of those sins and failures. And that I'm a child of God today. And it's not because I'm good or I'm righteous. It's because his blood was shed on my behalf. And so I say, God, I confess that that sin, that brokenness that I go to all the time, God, that you've forgiven. Lord, I'm I'm asking you to forgive me. And I'm going to draw near this morning when I'm tired when it's dark out, when I don't feel like going another day, I'm going to draw near. And so you pursue God. And then you get out the word and you start to read the word. And, 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 and not every day is a mountaintop. Some days there's a mountaintop, but you find some hope. And you say, God, I'm going to hold on to my confession. God, by your spirit, would you help me to hold fast? Maybe you take a song that we sing and you sing through it or you read through the words and you encourage your heart. But you draw near, you hold fast. And then, and then you shut your Bible and then you start praying. Or maybe if you're like me, you leave your Bible open, you pray through the text. That's a, that's a great way to do it. But you start praying and you pray for your brothers and sisters. You start with concentric circles and pray for your soul and then your spouse and then your kids and then your church family. And you think about, God, who could I encourage today? How could I consider others today? It's, that's the Christian life. And then you get up and you walk in the good works that are prepared for you that day that he ordained before in eternity past that you'd walk in. Ephesians 2.10. It's the Christian life. It's the most incredible journey ever. That's the race we've been given to run. And so he takes all this awesome, awesome truth about Jesus and he just applies it really simply. He says, okay, now in light of all this, draw near to God. You have access into his throne room. So draw near all the time. Draw near to God. Hold fast your hope and consider others. That's the Christian life. And all of it flows out of and is powered and empowered by the gospel. Did you see that? It's all about the gospel from start to finish. He anchors it in Christ and his work on our behalf. And then he ends it in Christ on his coming work on our behalf. The day that's drawing near. And so this is the Christian life. It's bookended by the person and work of Jesus. Because Jesus is both the means and the motivation for how we persevere. When we don't feel like drawing near. When we don't feel strong enough to hold fast. When we struggle to consider Others, when we don't feel like gathering and encouraging, what do we do? We look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We look to his work on our behalf and we look forward to his glorious return. Brothers and sisters, that day, that day is approaching. Martin Luther said he had two days on his calendar, this day and that day. That day is approaching. Jesus is coming soon. So let's draw near. Let's hold fast our hope without wavering. Let's consider one another's as we see the day approaching.